Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Special melody, one of Reb Shlomo's deepest songs, in, in my opinion, most beautiful in a lot of ways, I think. It just takes you to a place, takes me to a place. I had a very unusual week this past week. It's an inexact science, let's put it that way. But sometimes if I have a crazy Shabbos, I wonder, what's this week going to be? So last Shabbos was pretty crazy, and I thought, I'm telling you, I just said to myself, I'm telling you this week is going to be something. Anyway, uh, I had two two trips to the cemetery this week um, for people in the community. I don't, I don't know if I've been to the cemetery twice in a week in my life. Both people were extraordinary, by the way, and and their neshama should have a Elias, uh, Noach ben Avraham, and Azrael, Elon, Moshe, Chai ben Avraham. Um, so the second, the second one was, was for Azrael, and I guess I, I, I was asked maybe to say a few words by his widow, and my car was parked next to the next to the open grave, you know, just a few yards from the open grave. And I'm remembering a conversation that I had with him a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, after, after davening at the Happy Minion. And he says to me, just in the conversation, this is my favorite Reb Shlomo song. <laughs> and he, he sang me a little bit of what I was singing at the beginning of this. And I never forgot it. You know, we never talked about it again. But somehow it, it stayed in my mind. But my, I don't have a good head for tunes, so... Like once you start a song, then I'll remember how it goes. But if you just tell me, "Oh, sing this song," I I'm blank. Couldn't couldn't even begin to remember how it goes. So I'm thinking it's a strange thing. I mean, I, I don't think it's really customary to to play music at a gravesite, but you know, every once in a while it happens. And I was thinking maybe I'll just see in the moment, but but maybe maybe this is one of those occasions because because he told me what his favorite song was, you know? But I couldn't remember what it was. And there was no way I was gonna remember, and the burial was about to take place. So I called Yehuda Solomon, and he picked up. And now, again, just pictured, I'm in, the co- in, a, in a parked car next to the open grave, right? I said, Yehuda, I'm gonna give you an impossible task. Do you know? Uh, <laughs> Which which song it was? I I don't remember how it goes, but it's it's deep. <laughs> and you have to understand. In, in case you don't know, there are hundreds and hundreds of Reb Shlomo songs, so this is really like a needle in 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 a haystack situation. So he starts singing a song. I cut him off after two bars. I said, "No, that's not it. I'll know it when I hear it. That's not it." He starts another song. I cut him off. No, that's not it. Sings another song. I said, no, that's not it. He sings one more. I said, no, that's not it. I said, it, it doesn't go It doesn't go up. It goes down. He tries one more. I said, no. 
And then I said, it's kind of like this song, you know, like the, our hunger won't be for bread and our thirst won't be for water, but to hear the word of the living God, right? That's a prophecy from Amos. And that's one of Rib Shlomo's, oh my goodness, maybe that's, if you can, if you can name two of his deepest songs, that's, that's, that's in the top two. That's both of them. Okay, that one. Anyway, so after I told Yehuda that, he says, uh, he, he tries one more. I said, no, that's not it. And then he tries another. And I was like, that's it. That's the song. I said, can you, can you record it, record it on a voice memo and then send it to me? Right? So, so he does. He does. And, you know, it was my turn to speak. And I just felt like, you know, the moment's right. And so I start, I start playing his recording. And his widow kind of like reacts. She says, that's the song that they played at, at my bedeckin, at my wedding. When, when he covered my face with the veil. And you know, everyone's uh, experience is different, but at many, many weddings, that's the deepest moment in the wedding, you know? That's like, you're joining each other beyond all physicality, beyond all appearances, beyond everything. And by the way, just so you know, I heard from Rip Shlomo that at the moment that the chassan, the, the groom, lowers the veil over the bride's face, that's the moment when all the neshamas of the children that you're going to have together come down. Okay? You talk about cash Torahs, that's a cash Torah. So she says, that's what he played at my bedeckin. And they start singing. She starts singing the song. And it was so emotional. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the, the wherewithal to kind of like put together what was going on in the moment. But afterwards, I mean, just think of all this, all the unlikely events. He tells me this story like approximately a decade ago. We never speak about it again, but I never forget. I get to the gravesite. I can't remember the song. I call Yehuda, who's there, picks up, and... What's the point? I really felt like he was reaching from beyond, from, from beyond the grave, so to speak, to tell her one last time how much he loves her and to summon their most precious moment together, right? Like, what else could it be? It can't be anything else. Love, love, the power of love. Love, like, there's no, there's no barriers for love. There's no barriers. This world and the next world, for sure, there are no barriers for love. So, that happened. And then we went into Shabbos, right? So, so Shabbos, we, we read the last of the seven half Torahs of consolation. Remember, ever since Tisha B'av, we've been reading these special Haftorahs that are just, Hashem is just comforting us and expressing His love for us. 
Um, and, and then it gets to this point where this Haftorah begins Sosasis, which is kind of a variation of what you say under the Chuppah, right? Uh, if that language sounds familiar, which is, it, it's this ecstatic love that God is expressing for us, like a chasun and kal. And, and it's the seventh week, and it's summoning the, the, the Sheva Bruchas, it's, it's summoning the seven circlings of, of the bride and, and, and everything like that. It's the ultimate consolation. So how do you know when you're fully comforted? So I heard Reb Shlomo say about healing that there are two types of healing, right? So the first category is someone's sick, and then they're healed, they're well. Okay. The second category is a person sick, and then not only are they well, they never remember being sick. <laughs> they don't remember being sick. That's the ultimate consolation, where you get to the place where it's not like, sometimes imagine two people fight, and then one person makes it up to the other person, and the other person says, okay, I forgive you, right? But they remember the fight. But can you imagine a level where they're back together and you don't even remember the fight? So that's this seventh level of consolation. That's what Yeshaya, the prophet, is explaining to us the way it's going to be. We're going to be so close that our paradigm is going to shift. It's not going to be from we were hurt. And remember, when we talk about the consolation that Hashem is giving us, it's on a historical level, all the things that we endured as a people throughout history, but it's also on a personal level. Everything that I went through in my life, anything that I might be angry at God or hurt over God, like that, it, it's going on that level as well. So, so the first paradigm is, okay, God, I, I forgive you. Okay, God, I, I, I want to try again. I want to I want to restore this relationship. It's not that. It's beyond that. It's, God, you mean I get to be alive? <laughs> I get to have a relationship with you. I get to, I get to, I get to, wah. right? That, that's, that's what it is. You see, Rab Simcha Weinberg brings the, the Magid of Mesrich. He was the successor to the Basham and And the Magid, the Magid says that, uh, you know, real joy. You see, a lot of people like, give me some good news and then I'll be happy. Right? This is how most people are. Um, I need a reason to be happy. You know, one of the best things I ever heard Reb Shlomo say was, you don't need a reason to be happy. If you need a mantra to say to yourself throughout the day, you don't need a reason to be happy. I, I've used it myself. We think, because we live in a commercialized society, and the wavelengths have been seized by corporations who, who want to sell you their products. And so the message that we get from 10,000 different companies is, if you get our product, you will be happy. And it's brainwashed us into thinking that we need something to be happy. Do you, do you understand? We've been brought up in this environment, but you don't need a reason to be happy.
Just the fact that we're alive, just the fact that God exists is a reason to be happy. So that's what the Magid says. And he's living in an earlier time, a pre-commercialized time, relative to ours anyway. So he phrased it slightly differently, but he's, he's talking about the same idea on even more of a root level, that a lot of times you think that some event has to have taken place to cause me joy, right? This has to go right in my life, or that has to go right in my life. And then I'll go from the outside in. If I get the positive affirmation from the outside, then I'll bring it in and I'll become happy. So he says, no, 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 happiness is happening from the inside out and you don't need a reason. But we have a reason. We have a reason 24-7. That's what he's saying on an even deeper level. And believe me, this is his thought, not mine, which is the very fact that there's a God and the very fact that we have a relationship with God, that's, that's this ongoing, this ongoing reason. So that's the seventh level of consolation. It, it's not that I'm going from I'm upset to I'm being forgiven. The whole thing is switching from the point of view of God is trying to console me. And now it's I am thrilled and just overwhelmed and joyous to be in a relationship with God. Everything I've been saying up until now is leading to this point, which is there's a paradigm shift that happens on the seventh week of consolation to make it full consolation, which is that it's no longer God trying to console me. Now I am so complete. I am just responding to God and so joyous to be in a relationship with God. Okay, so everything flips around. Everything flips around. And it's so appropriate. That is the culmination of all the Shabbases leading up to Rosh Hashanah. I want to review this point because it's really been staying in my mind quite a bit. You see, Elul is, is this month of extreme closeness between us and God. Remember, Elul stands for Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. That's Elul. That's this amazing closeness between us and God. And then all of a sudden we get to, like the next day after Elul, all of a sudden it's Yom Adin. It's Rosh Hashanah. We're being judged, right? No one likes to be judged. Like, what happened? We think oh, we're, so, we're so close, and then all of a sudden everything changes, and it's a brand new relationship, and then that one's gone, and this one's here, and I like that one, and I don't like this one. And, you know, it's, it's very discombobulating. What's going on is that the closeness is supposed to breed trust. You see, if you're really genuinely close with someone, you trust them. And if you don't trust them, you're not truly close with them, right? The, the, the two go hand in hand. So that's a barometer. If you want to know, like, am I really close with someone? Well, do you trust them? And if you, and if you don't trust them, then you're not truly close. The two have to exist hand and hand together. You see, imagine I'm talking with a doctor and the doctor says, listen, um, you have to come in for a surgery. I found something and you got to come in on Tuesday. And 
I say, wait a second, what are you going to do on Tuesday? You're going to take a knife and cut me open? <laughs> You're not taking a knife and cutting me open. Right? But if I know that this is a doctor and I trust this doctor and this doctor is saving me, I say, well, what do you mean Tuesday? Can't you fit me in on Monday? <laughs> you, you can't find any... Get me in there. Go, let's do this. Let's get this over with. Right? Why? Because you trust the doctor. Because you trust the doctor. So, so that's what's going on right now. This is, in these final days, this is... This is the ill love period where you have to ask yourself, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Do I believe that God knows better than I do? Or do I think I know better than God? You know, everyone really should ask themselves this question because even people who quote-unquote believe if they want to have an honest moment with themselves, there's a good chance, if you really want to be honest with yourself, there's a good chance you're going to say, well, in general, God knows best. <laughs> but there are some key occasions when I know better. And, you know, God has been seriously delinquent on those issues for quite a while now. And I really think this is one of those like core litmus tests. You see, you know, you know when they talk about the heart being a shadowy place? <laughs> Have you ever heard that expression? It's hard to see. It's hard to see when they're like dark shadows. It's hard to see. Imagine I want to make a room spotless. I want to make it so pure and clean, just like spotless. But you know, when there are these dark shadows, like hiding like cobwebs and, you know, old yogurt containers, <laughs> banana peels, things like that, it's very hard to clean up. Very hard to clean up because you can't see it. It's hard to see what's going on in our own hearts. That's the thing. This is why the Rebbe's are so great. This is why the Torah is so great. You know, I, I, I'll tell you just on a, a very personal level, um, a big turning point in my spiritual journey was when I, realized that the, when I realized that the sages know me better than I know me, right? That, that took a lot of humility on my part because I was like, no, I know me better than anyone knows me. But the problem is, is that in some ways, a person really knows themselves. But what about all those shadows? <laughs> it's hard to see. It's hard to see in the shadows. And then, like, the Torah comes, the Rebbe's come, and they shine a light, and they go, oh, and you go, oh, yeah, 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 there's that. Oh, 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 and there's that. And then all of a sudden, you run into the kitchen and you get one of those garbage bags and you start picking up all these. I thought the room was clean. I, I, you know, the nuts, you know, the garbage bag is full. <laughs> so that's one of those things. Do I think I know better than God? 
And you know, when I say it, you know, everyone's, I'm sure, especially if you're listening to this talk, you're running to go, no, I don't think I know better than that. No, what are you talking about? You know, not me. But I promise you, if you give it a moment's thought in solitude, you'll go over certain issues in your life and you'll say, uh, really, God? You know better on that one, really? I'm not so sure. So why am I suggesting that? Because I think that's the beginning to real trust. I think that's the beginning to real trust. You know, it's a... The last time Reb Shlomo was in Los Angeles, I, 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 which I guess is the last time I saw him, I don't remember if he told this story or someone told the story to him, but he, I remember he really liked it. And it was someone goes to a Rebbe and is telling this Rebbe, I don't remember which, all their problems. And tells the Rebbe, this is going on. And the Rebbe goes, oi, oi, if only I were God. And then this problem, and the Rebbe goes, oi, if only I were God. And then this problem, oi, if only I were God. And the person says, so new, if you were God, what would you do? And the Rebbe thinks and says, probably the same thing, because who knows better than God? <laughs> Right? So that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. So when we get to that place of closeness, that's Elul, right? That's Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. When we get to that place of closeness, why? It's in order to breed that trust. And then once we get to that trust, then we can stand before the judge and know who is judging us, the one who loves us the most. Right? Just like you're running to the doctor, right? A minute ago, it's like you're going to cut me open with a knife? Are you crazy? To, if you trust him, can we do it right now? Like, can we do it right now? Let's, let's, because the trust is there. Okay. All right. I want to get into something which is really like one of those moments that I was speaking about before. This is one of those bullseyes in terms of the human consciousness that is absolutely life-changing, okay? This is like one of these foundational um, teachings which allows a person to have insight into themselves in the most amazing way. So I, I know that's quite a buildup. But I'm just telling you what I feel about this teaching. So it is chapter 29 in Devarim, Deuteronomy. And I'll start reading verse 17. Perhaps there is among you a man or woman or a family or tribe whose heart turns away from being with Hashem, our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations. Perhaps there is among you a root flourishing with gall and wormwood. And it will be that when he hears the words of this imprecation, he will bless himself in his heart, saying, Peace will be with me, 
though I walk as my heart sees fit, thereby adding the watered upon the thirsty. Imprecation is a pretty fancy word. I hardly know what it means, but it's referring to the the blessings and the curses, but especially the curses, right? Um, He will bless himself in his heart, saying, Peace will be with me, though I walk as my heart sees fit, thereby adding the watered upon the thirsty. This is one of those passages in the Torah where there are very varied English translations to it. And I I don't know if you're familiar with Rabbi Arya Kaplan's Living Torah, but he's really great in the footnotes when you get to passages like this of bringing you five different English interpretations of what the Hebrew is saying. And so you can begin to triangulate. I'll just give you one example. Here it says, thereby adding the watered upon the thirsty. In another place, it's translated as thereby adding the drunk upon the thirsty right? Like someone who's drunk, who's had too much alcohol. So that's a very different watered and drunk, very, very different interpretations. Let me just make an aside, because I think this is one of those foundational things that that everyone should know. And I learned it from my brother-in-law, which is that every translation is a commentary. Say that one more time. Every translation is a commentary. And what, what does that mean? because the Hebrew is working on so many different levels. So let's say there are five different meanings for a Hebrew word, right? Well, here's the thing, if you're a translator, you must pick one of those five levels in order to put into your translation. You can't put all five. So the very act of selecting, that makes it a commentary. It is now your commentary on the Torah. Do you understand? That's why nothing will beat delving into the Hebrew, especially on those key words that are really functioning on many different levels, okay? As we know, the Torah is functioning on many, many different levels. One of the levels, for instance, is the musical level. Sometimes a note will go up, and that means something. Sometimes there will be a pause. That will mean something. Another level, as we well know, is gematria, the mathematical level, right? If this word means this word or this phrase means this phrase, you know, it has the same numerical equivalent, that means that there's some match between the two. And you can learn something about one from the other, okay? And sometimes it's very unexpected words that have the same gematria, right? Sometimes they're even opposites. Another level is the grammatical level. So this word bless, that a person is going to bless themselves Rashi points out, is in the reflexive tense. That means, like, Rashi gives an example, I shave myself, right? Or I wash myself. It's something that a person is doing to themselves. You see, you've got two categories in halacha, in Jewish law. One is those things that we do unintentionally. And then you've got those things that we do intentionally. Right? And I'm talking about wrongdoing right now, you know? So, so the things that we do unintentionally, that's like, those are mistakes, basically. Those are mistakes, and they're treated much more leniently by God. And, and it's just because it's not really, we didn't really mean to do them. Yeah, we did it, but we didn't really mean to do it. And then you've got the things where it's sort of like, oh yeah, I meant to do that. <laughs> I 
silly them to do that. So, so those are a little bit, those are a little bit more serious. Okay. And that's why this translation, that God is going to treat the drunk like the thirsty. So how does that interpretation go? Well, when a person is drunk, you know, they wake up in a certain place and it's like, where am I and what did I do? So it's sort of like seemingly it wasn't that intentional because they were drunk. But then we've got the thirsty where you're doing it with intention. God is saying that if a person gets to this place where they bless themselves, and again, we, ha we haven't explained this yet, but we're going to get there. If a person gets to the place where they bless themselves saying, everything's going to be okay when I do as I see fit in my heart, that God is going to lump together the unintentional things that we do, and he's going to treat them the same as the intentional things that we do. Now, no one wants that. No one wants that at all. In fact, the opposite. We want to take all the intentional things that we do and have them treated as unintentional. Where do we cross the line where the unintentional things that we do are treated as intentional? Because we need to know where that line is, right? Okay, so now we're going to go deeper and now we're going to start to put all this stuff together in a way that maybe we can relate to in terms of our own lives. So here's, here's a big question. Is God an idea in my mind or am I an idea in God's mind? <laughs> Is God an idea in my head or am I an idea in God's head? And by the way, God doesn't have a head. <laughs> okay. I'll give it to you another way. Did man create God or did God create man? So this is not a brain teaser. We, we should know, this one we should know the answer to. God created man. Man did not create God. We are an idea in God's head. And all that exists is God. God is the only thing that exists. Okay, we, we also have an existence, right? But we're emanations of God. I love the imagery of the, the ocean. Imagine the ocean. And that's, so to speak, Kaviocho. That's like God. And then the waves rise up. Individual waves rise up from the ocean. But what are the waves made out of? The waves are made out of ocean. But they're individualized. So that's our soul. Do you understand? God puts a piece of himself inside of us. That's our soul. So just imagine the ocean and then waves. Your, your soul is a wave, but it's connected to the ocean. And it's made out of ocean. Okay. So that's, that's us and God. So all there is is God, but we exist, but we're emanations of God. Okay. But you know, a lot of people walk around, even I'm telling you, religious people, quote unquote religious people walk around thinking God is an idea inside my head. <laughs> and you know what? I want to be a nice guy 
And part of me being a nice guy is I'll be a little bit religious, so I've got to like factor in part of my brain, which is like believing in God, but really it's me. <laughs> Thoughts are like really interesting because on the one hand, they're kind of spiritual. They're kind of like, thoughts are kind of like emanations of the soul. On the other hand, thoughts are the product of your brain and your brain is physical. And so your thoughts also steer your body. So one's thoughts are at this amazing crossroads between body and soul. And with that background, hopefully this will make a lot of sense. What happens when basically everything is just inside your head? Where you've got this internal echo chamber where essentially God is just a thought inside of your head. It can happen. It can happen. And in fact, it would be alarming to know what percentage of the people, their relationship is really just a relationship. They think it's a relationship with God but really they've just turned it into a relationship with themselves. It's just this internal ecosystem, right? And they call that thought God, but really they're just relating to themselves. And then they decide that they're the final authority because really what's out there except me. And then once that happens, a person then goes to what the verse is talking about. They then bless themselves because everything has become this internal process. And they say, that commandment doesn't apply to me. And that doesn't apply to me. And that doesn't apply to me. And they bless themselves. That's, that's the breakthrough that Rashi is making here by saying that it's a reflexive verb. They bless themselves because their entire spirituality has become this internal process out of touch and out of whack with the fact that all that actually exists is God. And all of this is just a series of thoughts that we're having about ourselves. And at that point, we begin to ignore the Torah and we just sort of like, well, this one's for me, that one's for me. Now listen very carefully. It could be that there are many commandments that for whatever reason I would love to be able to do them, I'm just not at that place in my life. For whatever reason, I'm just not at that place in my life. I can't do them. I'm not doing them yet. I'd love to do them. I want to do them. I recognize their existence. I'm just not there yet. That's okay. That's okay. We're all works in progress. That's okay. But where the Torah is warning us is when we go, that doesn't apply because I'm the final authority and I am blessing myself within myself with this internal reality 
that since I'm essentially what exists and that God is just a thought within my head, then I can make these final decisions since I'm the last authority. And once that happens, the entire spiritual cosmos shift. So again, are there mitzvahs out there that I'm not doing? A hundred percent. Do I want to do them? I want to do them a hundred percent. Will I get there? God willing, I'm praying I'm going to get there. That's the place that we have to stay. Not to get to the place where it's, you know what? I'm blessing myself within myself that those things don't apply. You know, we all just want to be good. All of us just want to be good. And a lot of times we don't know what it feels like to be good. And I want to tell you just a basic truth about the human condition, which is the best place to be is when you're longing for more. And again, we live in this commercialized society where everyone wants to sell us a product that's going to tell us you're, if you buy this, you're going to be happy and you're not going to be longing for more anymore. But can I tell you something? The best place a person can be is when they're longing for more. When they want more God in their life. Where they want more goodness in their life. Where they want to contribute more to the world. This is the most whole place a person can be. You know, the Kutzka Rebbe says there's nothing so full as a broken heart. By the way, when, when we say broken heart in that context, it doesn't mean that a person's never happier than after someone who they love breaks up with them. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the broken heart that we're talking about right now. We're talking about a broken heart where you're longing to give more. You, you, you want to give more. That's the place that we want to be. So you say, well, wait a second. You're telling me that don't I want to be in the place where it's sort of like everything that I'm commanded to, to do, I'm doing? And then I can go, <sighs> I can exhale and finally feel good about myself. Isn't that the place where I want to be? No, <laughs> no. You want to be in a place where it's sort of like, oh, you're longing to give more. That's, I'll give you an example. So Ralph Frimmer says, you know, the 10th test of Abraham, 
Abraham gets nine tests beforehand. He fulfills all nine tests. And then he gets the tenth test. Right? Seemingly, God never asks him to actually kill Yitzchak. Right? But God knew that Abraham thought that that's what was being asked. That's where the test came from. We get to the tenth greatest test. And Abraham, you know, binds Yitzchak. Yitzchak is right there with him, right? The verse says that the two of them went together as one, right? Like Yitzchak 100% knew what was going on. He was completely on board. He says, Avram, tie me tight. I don't want to get scared and move accidentally and puzzle the Corbin, right? I don't want to make the, the sacrifice invalid because I, I, I moved out of fear. Tie me, tie me tight. That's, that's how on board. Yitzchak was. In fact, the whole thing is called the Kedis Yitzchak. It's named after Yitzchak. So then God says, okay, that's fine. Get, <laughs> that's fine. Get him off the altar. Isn't, isn't it interesting that you get to the 10th test? He's done all nine. You get to the 10th test. And then he doesn't do what he thought he was being asked to do? Why? And so Rav Firmer gives us a foundation about our relationship with God in the deepest, 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 most enduring way. Because there has to be something inside of you that didn't get a chance to get out because you constantly want to give more. <laughs> Do you hear? The lack of closure was divinely ordained. Because when there's closure, then you're like, okay, I'm good, God. I'm good. I'm good. We're good. Everything's good. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to take a little time now. I'm going to read the paper. We're all good. We can pick it up at check your watch. Let's pick it up at two, okay? After lunch, right? That, that's not what it is. There's no lack of closure by design so that we always have something left inside of us that we're longing to put back into the world, that we're longing to give to God. Remember, God is infinite. That means that the peace that he puts inside of us, our soul, is also infinite. So if our soul is infinite, how can it ever stop giving? It can't. And if we feel it stop giving, then there's something wrong. So if there's stuff that there's out there that you want to do that you haven't done yet, that's a good thing. That's natural. That's positive. We have to fight, we have to fight that urge within us, that desire within us. And by the way, Avraham had it too. The Medrash said, can I make little, just like a little cut on Yitzchak? <laughs> Can you imagine? The Medrash says that's what Avraham said. Avraham like, was like, I did all of this. I did all of this 
And I can't even make a, like a little cut on him just so like it's official that 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 I was going to do this. That that everyone knows that I was going to do this. Like let, let me just get to the finish line. Can you imagine you're you're running a marathon and you get a step away from the finish line and then they say, "Okay, it's good. We're good. <laughs> We're good." <laughs> but I'm just like a step away. No, no, no. We're good. God said, no, 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 you can't, no, no, you can't make a cutout. Again, that lack of closure. So, so we, we, we want to make that last check. We want to make that last check on our list so that we can feel good. But that's a delusion. That's not actually how we're constructed. And that's not the ideal relationship that we have with God. It's that we're never done, we're never done, we're never done. And we create this echo chamber in our own minds, right? Where we bless ourselves and go, not this one and not that one, so that we can be done and we can feel good and we can have closure. But that's not the, that's, that, that, that's not the architecture of the divine. That's not the reality how the exalted soul interacts with the infinite one. The soul wants to keep on giving, which means that there's always going to be stuff that's left undone. And we have to embrace that. All right. I want to I want to just tell you a story. We'll just kind of wrap it up a little bit here. And um, I don't think I told this story in a while on this podcast, but there was a series maybe for at least a decade where it was the custom at the Happy Minion to tell this story, okay? I heard Reb Shlomo say it. It's a Rishonor Torah, and Reb Shlomo said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my words. Okay, but you should know that this mushal is something Reb Shlomo came up with I heard him say it on Rosh Hashanah on 79th Street at the Karlbach Shul. And um, it's a good one to go into Rosh Hashanah with. Okay? So it goes like this. He says, there's a person on the subway in New York and they look across the subway and they see someone and it's clear to them that's my soulmate. And they're trying to get up the 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 strength to the courage to go up to that person and it, it's they can't they finally they walk up to the person and they ask for the person's number and they get the first three digits of the person's phone number and then the doors open and the person walks out <laughs> so the first three digits of a phone number not the area code the next the, the three digits of the seven digits the first three that tells you the neighborhood the person lives in. So the person starts driving around and looking in the neighborhood. Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll see that person walking down the street in the neighborhood. And while they're looking and driving, looking at the sidewalk while driving, they, they run one red light after another. And then finally, the siren goes off 
and there's a policeman behind the person, pulls him over and says, listen, brother, one, two red lights you run, but, you know, enough is enough. I got to take you in to see the judge. So the person walks in to see the judge, and who's the judge? The person from the subway. And the judge looks at the person, the person looks at the judge, and the judge says, listen, there will be time to judge you, but right now sit next to me. I just want to be close. <laughs> and that's, and the originator said that goes on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, right? That mushroom goes on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. But what's, what do we take from this story? What do we take from this story? That the one who's judging us is the one who loves us the most. The one who is judging us is the one who loves us the most. That's, that's the headline. Now I'm just going to share a few thoughts that I had, my understanding of what Rib Shlomo was trying to communicate. Because there's, there's some very deep ideas in this. And... Um, you see, what's the truth? The truth is that on the deepest level, you know, I always think of that, uh, that country western song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? And even when we do that, and we do the wrong thing, on the deepest level, even if we're not consciously aware of it, right? I'm talking about on a soul level, we're looking for God. And that's the truth. You know, when a person looks for pleasure in the wrong places, on the deepest level, they're looking for God. They're just not in touch with that aspect of themselves yet. So that's the idea that they're looking, they're looking for their soulmate, right? Which is God. And while they're looking for their soulmate, they're one they're running one red light after another. You understand? In other words, they're making mistake after mistake, but really on the deepest level, they're looking for the one they love the most, which is God. And then we get brought in to the judge and we say, ah, it's the one I love the most. And I think that this story very beautifully says, much better than what I was trying to say at the beginning, how Elul, Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, goes into Rosh Hashanah. Do you understand that this intimacy with God, this trust with God, this closeness with God, right? That God is our soulmate. Literally, he puts our soul inside of us. Like, you can't be more soulmates than that. Also is the judge. And it's not a contradiction because the one who's judging us is the one who loves us the most. And God knows that. But I think some of the work that we have to do is for us to know. We, we need to know that, and we need to reassure ourselves of that, because, because it's the most true. But everything changes in a person's life when they, when they understand the truth of it. 
right? It's true whether we understand the truth of it or not. But once we understand the truth of it, then our lives change. You see, and then anything that we do wrong. Remember I told you there are two categories? You do wrong by mistake and you do wrong on purpose. Then everything becomes, it was just a mistake. Because if I was in touch with that part of me, really, I never would have done it to begin with. Even the things I was seemingly doing it, doing on purpose, I never would have done it to begin with. You know, Rav Shlomo said one of the deepest things I ever heard. He was talking about Yom Kippur and he was talking about all the mistakes we made. And he said, I didn't want to do them to begin with. I never wanted to do those things to begin with. So God gives us the biggest blessing in the entire world. You know, I grew up on the East Coast of America, where there's four seasons, the Northeast, four seasons. And you can track the passage of time when you have seasons. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And we, you know, the joke is we also have four seasons. Fires, riots, <laughs> droughts, <laughs> and earthquakes. Those are our four seasons, right? But temperature-wise, temperature-wise, it's just kind of like one long sunny day. <laughs> and... Monitoring the passage of time becomes super abstract because one month goes into another month and one year goes into another year and it's really hard to measure time. And thank God for Rosh Hashanah. Thank God for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah like allows us to go Okay, another year. Am I on track? Am I not on track? I want to be on track. I need to be on track. It's a gift. It's a total gift. And... Um, you know, there's a scary aspect to it because no one wants to be judged. But, but when the one who's judging us, right, is our doctor who's healing us, then you sure can't we do it right now? <laughs> I, I gotta wait. Old, I gotta wait till Monday night. <laughs> Let's do it right now. <laughs> And this happened to me, I think, only once in my life, but I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I yelled at my young son. <laughs> and he was still at that just perfect age where instead of running away from me, when I yelled, he ran toward me and he hugged me. <laughs> And 
And I want to be that person with God on Rosh Hashanah. I want to be that person. Where it's just sort of like, I know I didn't get it right. I know it. But all I want is you. What follows now are some questions and answers. I, I would say, first of all, um, thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, Shem should bless your family with peace and your heart with peace. And that, that all these relationships should be healed. Uh, I, I would just add maybe one thing. Um, you know, obviously this is very complex and, you know, has taken place over many years. But I would just ask you to make the distinction within your own self between hurt and anger. Okay? And, and I would say that you're allowed to be hurt and you're allowed to continue to be hurt, but you can decide not to be angry, though. You know, that, that you can yeah. make... A decision about and then hurt heals over time um, but anger we can intellectually decide not to be angry and and anger is poison and and um, one of the main derichs you know pathways of Reb Shlomo that, that he taught me over the years was absolutely how essential it is to purify one's heart from anger. That is one of the main jobs that we have to do in terms of our relationship with ourselves and, and certainly with God. So, so try to let go of the anger and then, and then allow the the normal sort of washing machine of time to to take care of the hurt you know and um you know the 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 truth of it is is that a lot of us especially in in family dynamics which are the most complicated you know there's nothing more complicated than family dynamics is we want to just sort of like be seen as we are, and be validated for the choices that we've made, and and everything like that, and just let that go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, let it go. Let it go because ultimately, if you have to feel good about the choices that you're making, and also you can make other choices. Just because you've made choices a certain way up until now, doesn't mean that you have to continue to make those same choices. That's up to you. That's up to you. But your family is extremely close to you, but they're not you. So if you don't feel as though you're getting that validation from them, that's okay to the extent that they're not you. And the most important thing is that you're getting it from yourself. Yeah. So so, so th that's the thing, because... Um, Sometimes it's very confusing because we kind of think like, well, if 
My family knows me better than anyone, and if they don't think this way of me, then, then I can't be this way that I th thought or wanted to think about myself. But that's what I would call bad math. It's bad math. It's not true. So, so you know, allow them to be imperfect, and, and, and they'll give you room to do the same. And just, again, just try to cleanse your heart of anger, and and the hurt will still be there, but the hurt goes away with time. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them. <laughs>